Welcome to Soulful Connections. I'm Amanda Solar, your host. I started this podcast because I believe when we share our thoughts, our stories, and experiences, we help one another to create more meaningful lives. And I also think that an important part of life revolves around our search for meaningful connection. That seems to only happen when we get real about who we are and we authentically share that. So listen in, try to answer these questions yourself, and let's connect. So I am here with Chuck Hall, who's just referred to himself as a double dipper (laughs) because (laughs) it is his second time on the Soulful Connections podcast. Um, But as I told Chuck, I could could be happy interviewing Chuck or talking with Chuck once a week because there's so much um, content with you, Chuck, because you're interesting and you're curious. Um, but today I brought Chuck on because he has been, he wrote an article that he posted, I think on LinkedIn and he has shared part of his journey is that he has recently uncovered, um, that he is autistic. Is that correct, Chuck? Absolutely. Okay. And, um, I just said, I would really love to explore this with you um, can I find out more? Can you share your journey? Um, so Chuck, first of all, welcome. Thank you, Amanda. And secondly, um, can you share, so you didn't know this growing up, correct? Not at all. Okay. And can you kind of share what led you to even explore whether or not you were autistic or had something that you wanted to find out about yourself in this way? Yeah, well, sure. So thank you, Amanda, for inviting me back. Um, you know, I, I do feel a little guilty because you know so many interesting people. Um, but, you know, this is, this is your podcast and I'm always happy to share. Um, so a couple of things to start out with. Um, I guess they're kind of precursors to this. Um, one, I highly value authenticity um, in the people who I work with, in my friends, and I really try to encourage that. Um, the second part is that I believe we are happiest when we can be our true selves. And part of being our true selves is figuring out who we are. So I feel like I'm on a lifelong journey um, and, you know, on, on the old Star Trek show, they used to say space, the fr- final frontier. And I always say, no, our own minds are the final frontier. Um, and so I've always been very reflective and introspective. Um, and as a coach, I work from a strengths model. Um, a lot of times, traditionally, consultants, therapists, doctors start with what's wrong with you? Um, And I've always tried to say what's right with me, what's right with other people and build off of that. Um, So I guess I would say there are a couple of things I don't want to lose track of here. But to answer your question directly, I always have felt that I've been different or see the world differently than most other people. Um, And, you know, people, friends of mine, one friend particularly said to me, you know what, you're really quirky. Um, and I was like, okay, I'll take that as a compliment. And before I knew it was politically incorrect, I used to say things like, I'm out of a touch of autism, right? Because I, I always felt like a little off kilter. Now, um, I did learn years ago that that is kind of offensive to people who are autistic, not offensive to me, but I understand why some people might feel that way. Um, So there's kind of a long backstory, but to kind of get to the point, um, when I was diagnosed with PTSD, 
um, from childhood medical experiences. My first meeting with a new therapist, the therapist who gave me that diagnosis, um, he asked me, have you ever been tested for being on the autism spectrum? And I said, oh, I've done some online quizzes. And basically they've come back and said, maybe, but probably not. That's the way I took them. He goes, okay, um, you know, I hear you. Um, you know, let's focus on the trauma that you're talking about. So we talked about childhood trauma and medical trauma and all the things that were causing me anxiety and keeping me from getting medical care. Um, and we never talked about autism again. So roll the clock forward. Um, I discovered the TikTok videos. I know this sounds really weird for a 60 year old. No, I can baby. totally understand where you're coming from. I totally, there's a lot of content actually on TikTok. Yeah, great stuff. So just by stuff coming up on the For You page, um, I saw videos of a uh, woman in her mid 20s who is an industrial and organizational psychologist. Her name's Alex Pearson. Uh, and her handle is actually Alex, if anybody wants to go out and find her. And she started sharing videos about getting diagnosed as being autistic in her mid-20s while she was in grad school, getting her master's in psychology. And I was like, well, this is really interesting. Um, so I, I followed her and I started sharing some of her stuff on LinkedIn and tagging her in it. Before I knew it, she sent me a connection request and I accepted and I said, you know, Alex, I really appreciate your work. I have some clients who I work with who have shared that they're on the autism spectrum. You know, I'd love to learn more about what you're doing. And in advance of that, um, I went to some links that she shared that had online autism tests, um, specifically aimed at adults who were not diagnosed with autism as children. And what, uh, what came back was there's a threshold score um, for these various tests that says no neurotypical person scores above these thresholds. I was above the thresholds on all of the tests. Wow. So the next time I met with my therapist, I put on our agenda, I want to talk about autism spectrum. So he goes, I'm really interested. What do you want to talk about? So I told him about these tests and I said, do you think I should do further testing? What do you think I should do about this? And he said, there's no need for further testing. I've known you were autistic from the first time we spoke. And I was yeah. floored. Um, that was really shocking. And I said, how did you know? And he said, I was diagnosed on the autism spectrum when I was a child. Um, and let's just say we know our people. Um, so between the testing and having had many, many sessions with my therapist, he was very definitive. This is your diagnosis. You know, actually, there's so many questions that I actually have. One question I'm thinking is, you know, and this is my own stereotype of what autism is. You are so personable and you are so engaging um, and so easy, I think, to connect with. And I don't think of those things when I think of autism. Yeah. Are those my just misconceptions about autism? Well, so there's so much, let me start by saying there's so much we don't know about autism, right? And I think I mentioned this on the previous podcast, but my personal um, slogan or framework that I approach life and approach my work in is learn, care, act. And the first point learn is, we have to realize there's more that we don't know than we do know. So we have to approach things from a point of curiosity. And that's the way I work with my clients. Um, and that's the way I try to approach my life. You know, everybody can be a judger and I do that a lot, but I force myself to have curiosity. So with the idea that there's more that we don't know than we do know, um, I want to share the definition of autism. So this is from the National Institute of Mental Health. 
Autism spectrum disorder is a neurological and development disorder that affects how people interact with others, communicate, learn, and behave. Although autism can be diagnosed at any age, it is described as a developmental disorder because symptoms generally appear in the first two years of life. Now, autism is really controversial and the language that is used about it, the stereotypes and everything, but the um, uh, DSM-5, which is the Psychiatric Diagnostic Manual, says that people on the autism spectrum often have difficulty with communication and, and interaction with other people, they have restricted interests in repetitive behaviors and symptoms that affect their ability to function in school, work, and other areas of life. Now, almost everybody I've talked to who's on the autism spectrum um, does not like the DS, DSM-5 because it just kind of like lumps all this stuff out here uh, and it is very ableist. Um, and it, it basically draws a line between people are neurotypical or people are neurodivergent. Um, and on one of the test scores, I think the threshold is 65. Um, and I think my score was 100. And the mean for people with autism, if I'm remembering that one right, is like 130, right? So it's on a spectrum. But I yeah. look at it and I go, how much different is a person who scores 65 or 66 versus a person who scores 62 or 63 or 64, right? Yeah. Um, and so I am, since I've gotten my diagnosis, I am connecting with amazing people from all over the world who share the same diagnosis. Um, really so there's cool. a lot of baggage that comes with it. There used to be a diagnosis called Asperger's, which was, again, I don't want to offend anybody because everybody has their opinion on language and what should be used. Yes. But um, Asperger's would be described as someone who is maybe earlier on the spectrum or having a more mild form of autism. There are people who have what I would call more intense autism and maybe they um, are non-communicative. Um, maybe they, there's something called stimming that autism, uh, people with autism often do, which can be waving their arms or repetitive gestures or repeating phrases, you know, or like um, soothing themselves by, you know, like rubbing their arm or, or anything like that. Um, and those things tend to make people uncomfortable, right? But what we don't know is we don't know how brilliant those people might be, what their inner life might be like, um, what they have to add of value um, to the world. But we tend to, and I tended to do this before I had my own diagnosis, judge from a neurotypical point of view of like, oh, that person's weird. That person doesn't behave normally. There's something wrong with them, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so. Um, it's very, very complex. Um, yeah. And I go back to, there's more that we don't know than we do know. Yeah. And the brain, you know, it's, it's a complicated thing, the brain and then the mind. Now I noticed also, Chuck, you say, I have autism. I've always heard people say I'm on the spectrum, yes. but you don't say that. Or do you say that? So I say them all interchangeably. Right. Okay, and there are people it. who there are people who are very intense about what they want to be uh, yes. called or the way they want to be described. So I say I am autistic, I have autism, I'm on the autism spectrum. Right. I use them interchangeably. And I am new to this. Um, and I am not offended by any of those, and probably because I don't feel it's something that's worth arguing over. Right. It's like right. people, you know, so, so there's this whole thing, like people may say, I have cancer. I'm a cancer patient. I'm a cancer yes. survivor. Right. Yeah. But to me, it doesn't change the essence. Um, right. And so this is saying something because one of my autistic traits is precision of language. Um, oh. But 
in my research and my understanding, I see that there is no definitive way to look at this. Um, and so I've decided to adopt, I'm comfortable with all of them and I'm not offended. Um, you know, some people want, just as an example, if someone says I have autism, then people say, well, that means that you're thinking about it as an illness that you want to have cured, right? Got it. And mm -hmm. I don't think about it that way, but right. I understand and I accept if somebody told me I don't want to be called autistic, I want to be described as on the spectrum, then I would, I would say that's fine. I'll use that language in our conversations. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that what I love about what you're doing and I, what I love about the open way that you're discussing this is that it's not as though you're presenting it like, hey, everybody, I have this problem. You're really saying, I think differently. This is why I think differently. And this is how I think, and this is how it affects me. But you're not presenting it like this is a real problem. Um, it's terrible. I think you're opening the door to the thought that, you know, we're all created differently and our brains are wired differently and the way we think is unique. Um, and I kind of love the way you're positioning it because it doesn't feel like you're viewing it like an affliction per se. So that's a really great topic, Amanda. So I have the benefit of having lived 60 years inside this mind, right? And yes. one of the things that we know about autism is autism is for many people a disability, right? And so there are children in schools, there are adults in the workplace who need understanding and accommodations so that they're able to get their education and do their work. So as an example, I have a friend on um, LinkedIn who has an autistic daughter. And I think her daughter is maybe like eight years old. Um, her daughter gets overstimulated in the classroom and needs the opportunity to get up, um, go out to the drinking fountain, go sit in the corner by herself, just kind of distance herself and get that, that time. And the teacher um, in her daughter's classroom had decided that it was disruptive and didn't want her to do that. And then her daughter would act out, which was more disruptive. So, right. you know, there had to be a conversation with the school of like, look, she's got an IEP. We know yeah. that she has, has autism or is autistic, however you want to say it. And these are the accommodations she's need, she needs. She's still going to learn, but she's not going to disrupt the other students if she just gets up and goes right. to the drinking fountain and like sure. stands in the hallway for a couple minutes. At the same time, there are people in the workplace who need accommodations. It might be wearing headphones, um, you know, to work during the day because they need to, um, background noises can be overstimulating. Um, it may be that certain, they have sensory issues with certain smells or aromas. So maybe they need to be isolated from some of those experiences. I myself didn't know it at the time, but I had, when I, when I worked in the corporate world, I had a boss who put on my performance review that I wasn't a team player because I, I preferred to eat lunch by myself. Um, what, I, what I knew at the time was that I needed downtime to just kind of have quiet and gather my thoughts um, and, and relax from all the stimulation of the day. Now, my family and friends have known that about me for years. Um, after my wife and I got married, you know, my wife is very outgoing um, and really likes to be around people. And I had to say at some point, like, look, on weekends, I can go out on a Friday night or a Saturday night. I need one of those nights to just sit quietly at home and recharge myself. You know, if you want to go out on one of those nights with your friends or do something, by all means do it. But I just can't hang with you. It's, it's, yes. you know, it's wearing me out. Um, and yeah. so while I'm at a point in my life and in my working life that I have figured out what the adjustments are and accommodations are that I need, 
there are other people who still have to work with their employers or their schools to be able to get the environment that they need and the conditions they need to work well. That makes sense. So looking back, can you look back upon yourself as a child and can you see things now from this vantage point, knowing this about yourself and go, oh my gosh, that makes sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that has happened, you know, in the, in the two months that I've had my autism diagnosis, so much has been put in context for me, which is, which is just amazing. It's almost like I'm getting a rewind on portions of my life and being able to re-understand experiences. So um, in the very beginning, um, when I was uh, tested for kindergarten readiness, they told my mother that I was not ready for kindergarten, that um, I should go home, keep me home for a year, um, and then the next year, bring me back to have me tested for special education. So um, the, the, the lucky thing that happened for me, back, back in the 1960s, special education, I remember the special education classroom at Doyle Elementary, Wow. Um, and there were, um, you know, they grouped all kinds of kids together in one room. And anytime you looked in the window of the room, it looked like pure chaos. I don't know how much learning was yeah. going on there, but I used to hang out at my father's car repair shop. And I could tell you at five years old, all the parts of an engine, how an engine worked, what a transmission did, all the parts of the car. I could take apart carburetors. Uh, and radios, old tube radios, um, and you know, and, I, and could put some stuff back together. Sometimes I broke things and they couldn't go back together. But my parents made a decision of like, in, in their thinking, no, he's not too stupid to go to kindergarten. We're putting him in kindergarten. And it was advisory, not required at that point. Um, but for the first four years of school, I had horrible social adjustment issues. Um, I used to sit in the classroom and a lot of times I would just start crying. I'm sure I was just emotionally overwhelmed. I was overstimulated. I just couldn't handle it. And other times I would just kind of retreat in myself um, and, you know, and, and the clinical term for it is self-isolation. Um, and I would do those things. And then somewhere along the line, um, I learned really what I know now is called masking, which is how to um, use your energy to present yourself as normal and kind of fit in. Um, but that is really exhausting. Um, if you're trying to um, put up a facade versus what you're really feeling inside. Yeah, I would think. So as you know, when you said that your friend said, boy, you're really quirky. <laughs> yeah. What was your friend talking about? I mean, can you say what are the things that were quirky or what was your friend identifying? Yeah. So, um, so this, this, I think comes down to, um, some of my autistic traits and I just took some notes to make sure I, I, um, didn't miss these. So, you know, one of the things is, and this has probably helped me succeed in my career and in my work as a coach, like I don't see things the same way that people do. So, you know, when people are looking at like, how do we fix this problem or what are the interpersonal dynamics going on in this situation? I look at things very differently. Um, and so I would often have a different take on things, you know, different suggestions, um, you know, I could be in a business meeting and people would say, well, it's really clear we should do X, Y, Z. And everyone would agree. And I would say, well, not so fast. How do you know that this is the case? And what if it's this other thing? And what if this is a better solution? So, you know, I was always, I'll go ahead and say it. I kind of had like the oddball point of view and people didn't always agree with me, but I always, always tended to offer different perspectives um, for things. And even down to um, when I was in a great job and had a really great boss 
Um, the two things I want to say about him. One was right after um, we got reorganized and he became my boss, and I, I was the head of communications, you know, which, you know, autistic people are supposed to not be good at communications. I headed the communications department for, um, for a pretty large company. And he gave a presentation at a, at a conference like two weeks after he had become my boss. After his presentation, he got all of his direct reports together and he said, um, okay, he used to, you know, he was, he was a funny guy. Um, okay, Mr. Communications Leader, um, what, would be, what would you give me as my grade for my presentation? And I said, well, I'll talk to you about it um, when we're one-on-one. -on -one. And he said, um, uh, no, I want you to tell me what my grade is um, right now. And I tried to like put him off. And he finally said, um, you know, are you afraid to tell me the truth? And so I said, okay, I'll give you a B minus. And he was like, you dare to give your boss a B minus on his presentation? And I said, yeah, I would have given you a C, but I know you didn't have a lot of time to prepare for the presentation, which is why <laughs> I'm giving you a B minus. And then, uh, you know, in polite language, he basically commended me for daring to speak the truth and told everybody that's the way he wanted um, everyone who wow. worked with him or reported to him to deal with each other is to, you know, always tell That's the unusual. Truth. Yeah. And so, you know, one of my, the person who called me quirky was one of my coworkers who, um, who was in that group where, where I did that. <laughs> um, but one of the things that happened is that boss said, you know, I want the company to pay for you to go to graduate school. I want you to get your MBA. And I said, I have zero interest in getting an MBA. And he was really surprised. And I said, I want to get a master's degree in organizational dynamics. Um, and he looked really surprised. I said, the program is at the University of Pennsylvania, and it's not what you think it is. Because everybody thinks like HR, organizational development, right? This is really understanding all of the relationships and the forces and the things that make businesses work. Kind of like, um, you know, the invisible dynamics, the, the patterns and trends and things that you don't see on the surface. Um, and so that's what I got my master's in. Um, and so that kind of is, is a description of how, you know, I, I see the world differently. You know, a lot of people would jump at the chance, like your boss wants to pay for you to get an MBA, go for it. I was like, I have no interest in that. This is what I want to do. It's interesting that desire to learn more about, uh, it feels like you've also been a, on a quest to understand more about communications and interpersonal dynamics. And, you know, you, you seem so well-versed in that arena which seems antithetical to somebody who does have autism, but I wonder if it's your mind trying to totally understand intellectually what maybe you don't grasp instinctively. So yeah, so think about this, right? Even if one in 10 people um, has autism or is, is autistic, right? I am an alien trying to figure out how yes. to survive in a neurotypical world, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. so I pay a lot of attention, uh, attention to things that other people probably don't. Um, you know, I mentioned Alex Pearson um, earlier, and one of the things that she talked about was growing up was she was really good at trying to understand the way other people spoke, the way other people interacted, the, all the things that they did so that she could copy that. Um, now, I know you're a film fan, but I'm gonna go, get into the Wayback Machine. I don't know if you know a, uh, an old Woody Allen film, Zelig. Well, no, but I mean, it's only because I really haven't watched Woody Allen movies, believe it or not, but I have heard okay. of it. Okay, so in Zelig, Woody Allen plays a character that takes on the personality traits of whoever he is around. Um, and, you know, being over the top for film, right? He ends up in like a, uh, you, know, you know, a New Orleans style band 
with all black musicians. And in the film, they actually have his skin tone change to, you know, to emphasize <laughs> he's, he's fitting in with those people. So I saw that film in college and with a bunch of friends. And after we saw it, you know, we were sitting around, I don't know, eating pizza or drinking or doing whatever. And I remember arguing vehemently, everybody does that. Everybody adapts to the people around them and tries to fit in. You study the patterns of a new group of friends and you try to adopt their language and their behaviors and everything that you need to do to fit in. And they all argued with me that no, no, they didn't do that. And I remember at the time thinking, you guys just don't know yourselves well enough. You're just not honest enough to admit that. Um, yeah. But that is, you know, again, looking back through the lens of knowing that I'm autistic, um, that is me going, aha, not everybody does that. Yeah. Um, that's the way I was learning to survive in this world. That's so interesting. One thing that strikes me, Chuck, is that you have a lot of confidence. And even when you go back and you tell me different things about even being in school as a young person or, you know, being in your professional life, you, you do exhibit a lot of confidence. Some of the things that you would say to a boss or to others is confident. Is that, is, where do you get that? Is that just? So, so, so um, I won't say it's so much confidence, but maybe it is confidence. What does confidence mean? It is, it is commitment to facing reality as I see it um, and not trying to pretend. You know, there are plenty of times when I am unsure of myself um, and, 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 um, really, you know, really could be described as lacking confidence, but there's also something, and, and, you know, I've got some years on you, um, and as the saying goes, um, I'll, I'll, I'll make this PG for your podcast, but at some point in, in life, you don't have any F's left to give, right? And yes. you just, you just go yes. ahead and you. I, I like yeah. to say you live your life out loud. You 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 know you know who you are, and you just try to be that. Um, and when I was in the corporate world, I tried to mask that. Um, I tried to be really diplomatic. Um, the boss, so so the company I worked at, where I had the great boss, we got sold, and I had two really bad bosses before I left that company. And the second bad boss that I had was really horrible. And when I knew I was leaving the company, I was just waiting for a job offer. I'd already gone through the interview process. He was trying to force me to agree with a, um, a, a business strategy that made no sense at all. And finally, I said to him, if you believe that, you must be smoking crack, right? And that is not the, the right thing to say politically to the president of your division of the company. Um, and that was literally the last conversation I had with him. Um, when I resigned the following week, he refused to talk to me. I actually resigned by faxing my resignation letter to his administrative assistant. Wow. Question for you, how does knowing that you have autism you know, what's the power of that? What does that mean? Is there any difference to you being you, but not knowing, you know, how does it impact you? So I think the way it impacts me is I have a deeper understanding of myself. And when I first did that series of online tests and got my results back, um, I was really depressed for a day. And what I wrote down in my notes was finding out that I had complex PTSD was a discovery of things that happened to me. Finding out that I'm on the autism spectrum is finding out more about who I am. And, you know, you can do things to heal from PTSD. It's hard. 
but there are things that you can do to heal. You can't heal from autism. It is how your brain works. It is um, uh, 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 an integrated, a complicated part of your identity and the way you see the world and the way, the way you think. So I felt very fatalistic about it. Um, but one of the things that I have learned is that a lot of times people colloquial colloquially talk about what is your superpower? Well, people in the autism community, we all talk about our superpowers, right? And so everything, I believe that every trait we have has a, uh, a plus side to it and a negative side, right? So I am still learning what my autism traits are. Um, I'm, I'm in a Discord server um, online for people who are on the autism spectrum. And one of the message boards in there that you can post to is, um, it's called autism or just me. So you can put a um, trait that you have that you're, you're wondering, hmm, this, I, I now realize neurotypical people don't think like this or don't have this quality. Is this just me being weird or is this an autistic trait? And so um, one of the things that I've been able to do in business for a long time and do in my interpersonal relationships is I feel like I'm highly tuned in to patterns um, and connections between things that other people, I, my experience is that other people um, don't usually see these things, right? And so that has helped me in a lot of my work. Um, and many years ago when I was in the corporate world and I had a, um, an executive coach, I did like a whole battery of psychological testing with him. He had a, a doctorate in organizational psychology and everything. And one of the things that he said to me is, um, you are in the top 2% of all people in the business world in problem solving. And so, you know, I thought that was really odd that, you know, because I wasn't like some genius level researcher or whatever, but that was one of the things that came out in, in his test. Um, and so, you know, I do tend to see those relationships. There's something really interesting that I discovered through the Discord server. I didn't have the language for it, but I'll, I'll describe it. So I have a really good memory for a lot of things. Um, like I can remember things very vividly from my childhood. Um, I remember conversations almost word for word with people at different times in different places. Um, I just have a very detailed memory for certain things, but I, I will forget where I put my keys five minutes ago, right? Um, and so there's, a, there's another aspect to this too, is when I am problem solving and trying to come up with solutions, the only language I had for it was I called it forward memory. I could almost like live out or, or project out how something would play out in like different pathways and different parts of understanding. And I would, um, those imaginations would be as vivid as, as memories of experiences I had in the past. Huh. And so I put this on the Discord server. And almost immediately, somebody called, yes, I have that. Um, my psychiatrist calls it maladaptive daydream because I always think of the worst case scenarios. And so I, initial, I immediately said, that's really interesting because there are times in my life when I do, it is maladaptive and I think of like the worst solutions. But what I have done is I've taken that ability and I try to daydream, if you want to call it, into the future to say like, okay, well, there, there are five different options here of how we can go down. And if I play this one out for the next two years, that's not going to work. But if I play this next one out, that could work really well. And so if 
Psychiatrists label, label the negative maladaptive daydreaming. The language I'm using right now, and there may be a, a better term for this, is adaptive daydreaming. I've taken the mal or the bad out of it. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I do that all the time, actually. My kids always say something to me because wherever we go, I actually go, wouldn't it be weird if, and then I, but I do it out loud and it stresses everybody out, but I actually enjoy it because my brain has to go to the worst, the worst case scenario so that I can kind of come up with something just in case. But I mean, I'll do weird, like, what if we were, if we're on a train, I'll look out and I'll go, what if we, we were stuck in the woods um, and it's dark and the train, like I do, and, and they're like, why? Why are you doing this? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's another example too of an autistic trait. And there's kind of a funny story about this. So after my therapist told me, yes, I absolutely confirm your tests, my observations, you are on the autism spectrum. And he asked me to think about what some of my autistic traits might be. And he knows that I'm a reader and a researcher and all of that and stuff. So I came back to him, um, you know, the next time we met and I said, one of the things that I've identified is what I call language precision. So words are very important to me. Sometimes I will stop in conversation and make sure I choose exactly the right word to convey the meaning. And I have a degree in journalism and I, you know, I've done a lot of writing um, and, and words are very important to me. Now that's all positive. Now on the negative side, I used to be really bad at this when I was younger. I would stop and correct people for using the wrong language, you know, and, and in, in college when I worked on the student newspaper, we called that copy editing other people's speech, right? Yeah. And yeah. so I used to do that. But so I brought that up and my therapist said, I have absolutely noticed that there are many times that you have stopped me and corrected me in the language that I'm using when we talk. And I said, no, I don't think I corrected you. I think I raised the issue and asked you to consider a different word. He burst out laughing. He goes, there you go. There's the proof of it. You just, you just stopped me and advised me to use the correct word. So, um, so you know, so that's something that, you know, the positive is that, you know, I'm good at writing. Um, I, I am um, careful in the choice of words that I want to use. But at the same time, um, I can not only be bugged by somebody who's using imprecise language, sometimes I don't detect that people are using the imprecise language and I take their meaning in the way, the meaning of the word. And later on, they'll say, well, I didn't say that. And I'll say, yes, you did. You said X. And they're like, well, I really didn't mean that. What I really meant was. Um, yes. And it may be why, I'm just thinking about this. It may be why um, I really liked my seventh grade social studies teacher, Miss Smith, who used to constantly say, say what you mean, not mean what you say. <laughs> yeah, I haven't thought so about that in years. That's so funny. Yeah, because it, everything is context. That that is very interesting because I'm with you on loving precise language, but I part ways in the expectation that anybody else is going to then use the precise language. That's that's interesting. Um I'm thinking about going forward and all that you're doing, you know, one thing I really, I love, love, love about you. And I, I really always love this. You're a sharer of, of information. You, I've learned so much. A lot of the things that I do, I've learned from you, you know, you'll say, Oh, are you on this, this, you know, clubhouse or whatever it is. Um, when you get information, you share it, which is wonderful. Um, and I love what you're doing with your own diagnosis. You're not just moving forward in your own life, but you seem to be sharing it, even coming here on the podcast and talking about it. 
is your purpose in doing that so that you help people understand how to navigate through the people in their lives who happen to be autistic or on the autism spectrum? Um, or is it also, or is it to um, help others identify their own possible um, neurological differences, I guess, I guess I would say. So this is a complex answer. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to make sure I start, I want to make sure I get everything in that I want to say, but I, I figure out where to start. Um, so treatment, particularly of children with autism, is very, it's fraught with a lot of challenges. Um, and there are people who are now adults with autism who are suffering because their childhood years uh, were filled with people trying to force them to quote unquote, be normal. Um, and the parallel, although it's not a perfect parallel, and you know I like precision, the parallel would be trying to force a gay child to be straight, right? And so we have to get to a place where we can accept all people for whatever their specific traits might be. And we can understand how, to fit, how people fit into society and how we're all a beautiful mosaic of personality traits, of uh, body sizes, of gender orientation, of everything. Um, and so by creating more awareness around this, um, I hope that we're not trying to force people to be what they are not. Um, for adults who struggle, um, who are trying to fit in to companies and careers and life paths and all of these things, finding ways that people can adapt and use their talents um, is really the way forward. This is not scientific, what I'm about to share. Um, it's just something that someone shared on social media, but there is, and, and I, I just haven't researched it. There is research on it, but what I'm gonna say, I, I can't say it with scientific accuracy, but there's a city in Europe that the population in the city is off the charts as far as people on the autism spectrum. Um, but that city has an amazing amount of inventors, um, uh, tech gurus, um, designers, people who are doing amazing work. Um, and the city is being studied as is all of this innovation, creativity, advancing science, advancing technology, is this because autistic people think differently? Um, and so as I encounter people who are on the autism spectrum or people who suspect they may be on the autism spectrum, it's really part of my mission to help everybody who, who I encounter to achieve their potential. Um, and to be happy in life and to accept themselves and to be accepted and have great relationships. Um, and so, um, you know, I've seen people who post like, oh my God, I'm 35 and I just got this autism diagnosis. I don't know what this means for the rest of my life. And I'm able to say, ha ha, I'm 60. Um, you know, I have three wonderful adult children you know, I have a marriage of, of uh, coming up on, on 33 years. Um, I've held really great jobs in the corporate world. I have my own business. My life is good. You will find your way forward too. I love that so much because that's really one of the reasons why I started this podcast and even my website. I think we're all on some sort of huge continuum somewhere you just, in so many ways, and I think there's so many ways to be a human being. 
there's so many ways to think. I, we don't want everybody to think the same way. You know, I just have this deep seated need to find out more about all of us. And I agree with you, Chuck. I really do agree with you that um, there's something powerful about owning and celebrating who you are. You know, so I, I, I think that you are brave and I so appreciate you. I think it's brave to explore yourself. You know, I, I, I really do. So I love that. First of all, even before you share anything, I love that you are on that quest to learn more about yourself. And I think that's really inspiring and I hope that, you know, I and anybody listening can go on that journey for themselves also. And then I just can't thank you enough for being willing to come and to share um, this journey and what you're learning. And I'm sure you'll continue to learn more and more. And, you know, I'm just going to tag along <laughs> and watch and listen and, um, and keep inviting you on the podcast and uh, whatever else we do that can celebrate, I guess, our authentic selves and the connection that we all have with one another, if that makes mm -hmm. any sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Amanda, I, maybe why I majored in journalism and in undergrad, um, I have seldom met a really boring person. I think people are fascinating. Um, and that's what I love about your, your podcast, about this, this podcast that you do. Um, and I mentioned to you that in almost every case, um, I wanna keep talking to the person oh, that, so nice. that you're talking to. Um, there's, there's more, there are questions that I have, there are more things that I wanna know about them. There are things that I'm discovering. And I think most people, don't appreciate what an amazing story they have. Um, yeah. You know, people people just kind of like take things for for granted. And even even like um, you know, I know you love your parents. My father is gone. You know, my my mother is is uh, eighty nine. Um, but every once in a while, she'll like blurt out something about her childhood or something that I just didn't know. And I'm like, yeah. tell me more about that. Right. Like as an example, yeah. like years ago, um, my mother said something about like, oh, yeah, our excitement on Saturday night was we sat around and watched the radio. And I'm like, what? And she's like, well, we didn't have TV, so we listened to the radio. And I said, no, you said you watched the radio. And she said, well, we did. We all sat there and looked at the radio while we listened to it. Right. And so, you know, you get this picture of like what life was like. Yeah. Where people are like you know, I knew, I knew what my grandparents' uh, living room looked like and everything. And so I immediately had this image of my mother and her sisters and brother and parents sitting around on the couch and chairs, maybe on the, someone on the floor, right? Looking yeah. at this old radio, right? And so everybody has fascinating stories. Um, yep. And we, we need to draw those stories out of people and we need to hear them. I agree. I think it's, you know, you've been in your marriage for a long time. I've been with my husband for a long time and I have close friends. I never get bored, bored with them. Even my friends who I've shared space with since first grade, there are still things I don't know about them, <laughs> the way they think, their life. People are interesting. We're, we're just a really complicated bunch too. And yeah. Um, I, I love that you said that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And, and I think it's why, um, you know, I'm sure that with your wife, Amy, you're still discovering certain things or there's a memory she might share and you think, huh, you know, so. Yeah. And they're, they're fun things too, because I tend to have a really good memory for things. And my wife will say something like, um, my mother told me this week something I never knew and she'll start telling me and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember she told us that 
you know, one Christmas when we were visiting when our kids were little. And my wife would say, I never, I don't remember that. I never remember her saying that. And I'm like, oh yeah. And then I'll, I can add <laughs> some of the oh parts of the story. So um, yeah. So, and, you know, and maybe that's, maybe that's a gift we get to remember and remember, uh, re-remember. Um, there's also a fascinating, because I've really gotten into neuroscience and I guess I would call it um, the sociology of neuroscience. There's this phenomenon of collective memory among people. And so with your, with your husband, there are certain things that he won't bother remembering because he counts on you to remember, and you don't bother remembering because he counts on, you count on him to remember. And so we do this in social groups where you know we, we fill in the things that are important for us to remember while other people remember them. And so that's just another part of the mosaic that we don't really yeah. see, don't really understand on the surface of how we all fit together and how amazing it is. Well, I'll tell you, we should do another whole podcast on memory. And, you know, I'm always fascinated by cellular memory, by what did we experience when, you know, we don't have the actual memory of it, but on some level we lived it. So there's some there's some memory somewhere and how does that inform us i think we could do a whole something on that because i find that fascinating and there's got to be someone who you can um talk to who's an expert in epigenetics which is how how memories are passed down through generations genetically oh that is a whole you're right chuck that would be that's, so interesting that's fascinating yeah yeah i agree well, Chuck, thank you so much. As always, I think you're going to have to be a regular guest. <laughs> well, you have plenty of other fascinating people that I want to hear from. So keep okay. bringing people out. Um, Amanda, I can't thank you enough for all you're doing uh, with this podcast. Um, I look forward to it every week. Um, it's very enjoyable. It's very informative. And I can't believe I, I mean, I feel like you have just started to scratch the surface of people you know who sh you should do interviews with. I, and I don't want to overstep, but I feel like someday I should send you an email and, and say, these are the people that we both know. Yes, that, do it. That I want you to interview. Never worry about overstepping. You could send me questions. You could send me thoughts or, you know, whatever you think. I am, because... It, you know, it's new for me. It's just something I want to do. And as I'm doing it, I'm even understanding my motivation in doing it, you know, mm -hmm. as I proceed. So I appreciate all of it. Yeah. Let me close with one thing, Amanda, which I, mm -hmm. I didn't make this offer, but if there's anybody out there who wants to talk about autism, wants to talk about neurodiversity, I and mean, then we only talked about autism, but there are other things like ADHD, um, yes. that are forms of neurodiversity. If anybody is looking for information or just someone to talk to, please reach out to me. Um, I know this is going to go out through the world, but I've already published this online. My email is chuck at chuckemail.com. And my cell phone is 267-640-5932. Um, and I am happy to talk to anybody and help you find your path forward if you think autism might be part of your life or, or part of the life of a family member. You know, I gotta tell you how different you are from me, Chuck. If I just gave out my cell phone, I would be getting a burner phone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I let a lot of calls go to voicemail. That's good. Right? Yes, that's, you're awesome. You're amazing and I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amanda. Hey. Thanks for listening. Giant thank you goes out to show advisor, Roseanne Griffiths, the talented musician, Bill Aronson, who wrote, produced, performed the Soulful Connections theme song. And a thank you goes out to Brad Sanders for creating the Soulful Connections logo. Love it. That's new this year. So much gratitude to these guys and to my friends and family who continue to listen and guide me. And once again, to you for listening.
I would love to hear from you. Please shoot me an email at soulfullife at gmail.com. That's S-O-L-F-U-L-L-I-F-E at gmail.com.